Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Hello, everyone. This is KJ Sheehan. Unfortunately, my brother, W.J. Sheehan, the author of all of the books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, and the creator of this podcast, is not able to participate tonight. Not because, perhaps, the black-eyed children knocked on his door and said, Nothing to worry about. We just want to use your telephone. But really just because he had some massive internet issues. And by the way, he doesn't have COVID. And I know some of you don't like me even mentioning COVID. But I want to assure you, his health is fine. Although his internet connectivity is highly suspect. And for those of you that don't know it... Bill and I, my brother and I, record this episode from two different locations that are approximately 650 miles apart. My brother, W.J., being located out on eastern Long Island in New York State, and myself, K.J., being located either in the Piedmont of North Carolina or out on the coast of North Carolina depending on which secret location I am at. So we're very sorry that we can't stay on schedule with a full episode this week, but rather than leave you for days waiting for a new drop of a full episode, we decided to have me read an account of one of my brothers to all of you, just to give you a taste of the hairy man. And of course, when I say we, I did get written permission from W.J., although I still do not have an autographed copy of one of his books. So thank you for your patience. This will not be a new form of the podcast. We love normally going through our cryptids in the news and other oddities, and of course, the listener mail that we cherish so much from all of you. But tonight, think of it like a little bit of a bonus episode, where you'll have K.J., reading one of W.J.'s accounts. So it'll be a little shorter than normal, a little bit different for sure, with a different voice reading the account, but hopefully nearly as enjoyable. And then midweek this week, we will drop a full episode for you, assuming my brother's internet connection improves by then. We can only hope. So this sighting was brought to my brother's attention from a couple who reside in Toronto, Canada. Very nice city, by the way. That's KJ commenting on it. This is the account as given to Bill from Robert and Grace 
Kuntz. My wife and I were both somewhat amateur naturalists. Our home is filled with books and artifacts from years spent hiking in the woods. We have pressed leaf and fern collections, castings from wolves and other animal tracks, and all kinds of oddities from our many excursions throughout the years. We have handmade lamps from tree limbs gathered in the forest, and some of our furnishings were handcrafted by artisans from the forests to our north. I only mention this so that you can kind of get a feel for the type of people we are. At the time of this sighting, our two children were 9 and 12 years old. Sophia, being the oldest, and Eddie, the younger of the two. At least twice a year, we would go camping, but many other days we spent together hiking and scavenging in a variety of locations. One of our favorite locations is the Helen Bar Lookout Trail in Mississauga Provincial Park. It's not too far from Toronto, and it is an absolutely exceptional place to hike and camp. We had probably been there a dozen times or more prior to this sighting. The campground is named Semi-White because it's located adjacent to Semi-White Lake. The trail takes a few hours in and of itself to traverse, so we generally bring a picnic-type lunch along for the midway point, a break which we typically take in an area known as the Second Lookout, at which point you're close to yet another lake named Helenbar. There are many animals in this region, including deer, moose, and wolves. And it's not uncommon to see wolf tracks on the very hiking trail that we walk on because this same trail is used by them at times. In fact, this is where we had taken the casts, which we have at home. Many people are afraid of wolves, but this is an unfounded fear. They're actually quite shy and have extremely keen senses of both smell and sight. The only indication of the wolf's presence known by a human will typically be their howling, which we have heard on many occasions. We had decided this time around to go in September, October and September being the rut season for the moose. We were hoping to stay out of harm's way and actually see a moose on this outing, which is much easier said than done. In fact, as large as they are, it's extremely rare to see one here. As we began our hike this September day, and as I begin to tell you about it, I will do my best to kind of give you a good idea of what we, are, what we were seeing and what you would see if you were there with us. The trail is kind of a big oblong loop. It heads out towards Helen Bar Lake, and then swings back around with the return leg running along the shore of Semi-White Lake. These are two entirely different bodies of water, Helen Bar being very shallow and Semi-White being much deeper. In fact, Semi-White is home to lake trout, whitefish, and a lot of minnows, most of which like the deeper water, while Helen Bar Lake, on the other hand, 
at its deepest point is less than 15 feet deep. But it supports a robust population of brook trout. As you enter the trail, you get a real sense that you're leaving the world as you know it. It's like entering Middle Earth or some fantasy forest. The moose, by the way, live within this place because everything that they need throughout the year can be found right here. And the wolves, of course, are here because of the moose and the deer. It is the perfect ecosystem at work in every way. One also needs to exercise great care at this time because the moose can be a little bit edgy during the rut. As you begin, you are going uphill, and there are many boulders which were left here by the glaciers. They are referred to as conglomerate rock, also known as glacial erratics. One of these rocks was left here by the glaciers, which more than likely had been dragged hundreds of miles, and it is of immense size and proportions. There are also quite a lot of ferns growing on this huge boulder. As you continue along the route, you will see a large swath cut through the forest. This is done intentionally by the province of Ontario. The young growth which springs up through through these areas provides reachable and edible food for the deer population. Passing the boulder field, you start to enter into the heart of the upland forest. An area filled with red oak, yellow birch, and sugar maples, all of these trees are actually at the extreme northern limits of where they can grow and thrive. And directly alongside them, you begin to see what is known as the Northern Boreal Forest, a place where spruce and balsam firs now take over. You're actually walking at the very cusp of a transition zone between two different forests. You'll also begin to see here, as you continue your hike, many stumps, which are remnants of the logging for white pine, which occurred here years ago. Occasionally, there's also a large root ball visible from a tree, which had fallen throughout the years. There are also many clusters of lady fern visible in some of the more moist and shady areas of the forest. As you approach what is known as the first lookout, there are very steep rocky faces which confront you. These stand in stark contrast to the surrounding beautiful forests. And from here, as well as the second lookout, you can see the shallow and lovely Lake Helenbar. In this area between the two lookouts, there are actually many large trees which have been uprooted by the wind, leaving their enormous root balls exposed. On this day, we'd begun our descent from the second lookout and had probably walked maybe a quarter of a mile passing many of these fallen trees. It was then that up ahead, a large male bull moose emerged from the forest, coming from the shore area of Lake Semiwhite. This is one of their favorite feeding zones. They love the aquatic plants like lilies, which grow in the shallows at the lake's edges. He was right in our path and making his mating calls as he lumbered along. We didn't want to get too close, so we started to backtrack. As we did, 
So we were snapping some pictures and trying to enjoy the moment and the sighting as much as we could while still being very cautious. He really seemed as though he was not going to move on any move on any time soon. So we decided to back up near the area of the fallen trees and hang out for a while. Our only other alternative being to hike completely back out of the way that we had come. As we were waiting, Sophia said to me, Hey, Dad, I just saw something come out from behind that big dead tree back there. Now, there were quite a few dead trees here, so I asked her, which one? She was pointing to a large root ball, maybe 150 feet away from our position. As we all stood there, focusing on this giant root ball, my eyes were drawn to what I perceived as being a large, black, furry arm, which was wrapped through and around some of the old roots extending from the side of this ball. And no sooner had I begun focusing on it when a large black head jutted out from behind the ball looking right at us. My daughter and wife said almost simultaneously, Oh my God, look at that. It was the head of a large black creature that was hiding behind the ball. As we were looking at the head, as we were looking at it, the head started twitching back and forth in a crazy manner. I mean, it was going left and right really fast. And the arm, which by now I knew was the arm, had been pulled back out of view. My daughter said, I'm scared. And the two children came really close to us. I reached down and grabbed a large piece of branch and broke it off into somewhat of a club. As I did so, this thing took off at a frantic pace running through the trees. It moved so quickly that it was almost a blur. We could hear it crashing and thrashing through the trees as it ran. We were absolutely in shock, and my daughter was in tears with fright. We started to walk back to where the moose had been looking over, our sh- looking over our shoulders the entire time. And thankfully, when we reached that area again, the bull had moved on. About 45 minutes later, we were back at camp and safe. As far as what this creature looked like, we actually, for a brief moment, amount of time, had a reasonably good look at it. When I realized that I was looking at an arm after its head came into view, I would estimate that just its arm alone had to have been five or more feet in length. I say this because I had to have been looking at well beyond four feet or so above what was the elbow. This arm was heavily covered in what seemed to be thick blackish-brown fur. When its head moved into view... We could see a portion of its body through the root ball of the down tree. It was then that we knew it had a body and it was standing upright. It looked like a big gorilla. But of course, we all know that there are no gorillas present here or anywhere else in Canada. And even if one somehow fell onto earth here, it would never survive the climate. This was a Bigfoot, the hairy man himself. The head had somewhat longer hair on it, 
And when it started flipping its head left and right like it was going crazy, we could see the long hair flipping back and forth. It looked like some lead guitarist in the middle of some mad jam session. It was doing this twitching motion so fast that it was hard to comprehend why it would do so, but it was. Then it quickly moved away from the roots and began running into the woods. And it was doing so leading with its arms and hands, just like plowing everything out of its way. It was like a whirlwind activity, parting the brush as it pushed forward through the undergrowth. It was basically slapping saplings and brush aside with seemingly no regard for getting hurt. Seeing it was very bizarre indeed. We could clearly see when it moved from the cover of the roots that everything about its body was extra large. The biceps and forearms looked like tree limbs. Its upper thighs from front to back must have been 16 inches deep. And its butt cheeks, butt cheeks stuck out well beyond the thickness of its thighs. Completely different than a human's buttock appears. It was very tall, well-formed, and muscular. I would also estimate the shoulders to be four to five feet in width because I saw it at virtually a quarter angle before it disappeared into the woods. You have to understand that the undergrowth is so thick in some of these areas that all you had to do was step into it 10 feet, if you could, and you would vanish from sight. At no time did it show its teeth, but as most people already know or have heard, its hands and feet were extremely long. And I did notice when the feet were lifted as it stepped that the bottoms looked like, like a flat leather shoe sole with fur coming down the edges. We could faintly hear it thrashing away for a fair amount of time, and then it was silent. Of course, we don't know if it had broken into a clearing or if it was just too far away at that point, but the encounter was over. Well, folks, trying to give you a little taste of the hairy man this week. Again, I apologize for my brother WJ and I for running into some serious technical difficulties. This is the first time in over 100 episodes, and we just wanted to give you a little taste of the hairy man to tie you over until midweek when we drop another full episode. So, if you're out there in the forest of Toronto and you're going hiking with your two small children, always make sure that you're carrying more gun than you think you're going to need. Ta-ta. And sleep tight.